Report Cody Jansen with you. What is up, world? It's a beautiful Wednesday out there. Oh man, sun's shining, ODRs are melting, and boy, we still don't have NHL hockey back. It's Cody Jansen. Follow me on Twitter at Janner31. Adam Erman Trout is here as well with us. Follow him on Twitter at A Erman Trout. We're on Twitter as well at World Hockey RPD. Hit us up in the comments. Anything you got? Hey, we're looking fresh, of course. These toques, yeah, they're on order. Hoodies, you can still get them for Christmas time. Hit us up anytime with that. Come to you live, 12 Ounce Sports Zingo TV, channel 761. Adam, we're bringing on. Snap it over to Saskatchewan. Adam Erman Trout here with us. What's up, buddy? Not much, man. Another another big week in the NHL. You know, they're they're talking. The players are talking. The the PA's talking to the league. You know, it's another big week. And I mean, what does that even mean nowadays, right? I don't think it really means anything. Like all we've heard are rumors up to this point. And as I said before, I mean, we're gonna see a start probably closer to February, and it's gonna be 48 games. I don't see them getting 60 games. And from every single player I've talked to, is they want to be done by July 1st. Like that—that's one of their big things. The NHL, I totally get it. They've got their, you know, revenue concerns and stuff like that. I get it. The CBA that they signed is not looking good right now. But, I don't know, there's been some interesting talks. What's your thoughts? Like, when do you think we're actually going to see NHL hockey again? Probably at the end of January. Um, Is there anything more NHL than just riding the coattails of, of the NBA or something like that? You know, like, I mean, it doesn't seem like they do anything proactive to get out ahead of the NBA or even the NFL and I mean, those are two obviously way more popular leagues, but at the same time, like, why can't the NHL be their own person instead of, oh, the NBA is going to start this date, or the NBA is going to return to their bubble on July 31st? Well, I guess that means we can go August 1st, then, and why not get out ahead of it? And, I mean, you're not having teams move or anything, right? Like, you have your Canadian division where, in the NBA, the Raptors had to move to Tampa, and that's all messed up, but... You know, you have teams in Canada, you have three or four other divisions, and you should be good to go. I, I don't really know what the holdup is here. Well, I feel like the holdup's revenue. I mean, Adam, we can't kid ourselves here. The NFL, the NBA, their TV deals make the NHL. Like, that's like comparing the SJ to, I don't know, the WHL. Like, just, I guess I don't even know if the dub brings in a good revenue stream via that. But, like, it's not even in the same world. We're not talking, like, we're talking probably hundreds of millions, if not billions, in difference here. Like, and and I think Doug Armstrong said it the best. Maybe I did take it out of context a little bit, but it's still around the same topic, where Doug Armstrong on the Cam and Strick podcast, shout out to them, Cam Jansen's an absolute legend. Um, He said, I don't think, this is quote here, I don't think anyone should have more authority than the one signing the checks, and that's the owners. That's from Doug Armstrong, Adam. Like what when when you read that, when you hear that, like does that not sound like a lockout? Uh close. I guess, I do know for a fact that there's 
a handful of owners, maybe more, that don't want to play at all, right? But why would they want to lose money? Well, yeah, especially the ones like the the owners in the hotel business, the owners in the casino business, whatever, basically hospitality, and a lot of them are, right? Um, Whatever business they're in, they... They don't. They're not making money there. They, they're not going to play without fans just to to foot bills for their teams to to fly around and stay in nice hotels and play. Right. I think the only the only benefit to playing is is the new US TV deal that's coming into play and just staying relevant. Honestly, like I'm not really the the financial guy, but at the same time, I mean, why would owners want to play right if they're just writing checks and not really receiving anything back? I don't know. Have they said, like, if they play, and, like, say if they're to start today, if they're playing in Texas or Florida, are they going by state restrictions? Like, I don't know about the NBA either. Like, are they allowed to have fans at all? Or has that just been completely nixed? I'm not too sure, but if the NFL teams can have some sort of capacity of fans, then why can't the NBA teams, right? Like, Florida and Texas, why couldn't they have fans if their their NFL teams are doing it? Well, that's why I, I feel like it comes down to the league where the league can still veto it, I believe, where if they don't want these teams to have any fans, then they're going to say it. But it, it, it's kind of stupid. Like, I don't know, stupid's a bad choice. I don't get ourselves like ourselves in trouble here. But, like, if, if Dallas is doing watch parties in their rink during the Stanley Cup Finals, you know, I think we can safely put fans in the building where we're not putting a bunch of people at risk. I would argue that rinks are a safer place to watch a game if done correctly than a bar or a casino or, you know, like everyone gathering in a buddy's basement. Like, I I think that that's almost a more responsible way. Like, if you think about it, if the Oilers are to come back and play tomorrow, the the bars are going to be packed because everyone's going to want to watch it. They're going to want to socialize. They're wanna gonna, they want to drink overpriced beers, eat wings, whatever. They're going to be seeing their buddies. It's a social event. And now the NHL has no way to monitor that. And like the government has no way to monitor that versus putting 5,000 people in a building, making sure that they're spaced out, making sure that they're properly you know sanitizing, wearing masks, all of that above. Yeah, um, and the NBA announced like some teams, Atlanta, Oklahoma City, and Memphis will have fans like the old okay. 20% capacity or 1,500 fans, whatever. Um, but yeah, I, I really don't know. And a lot of this is like, what are you going to do, outweigh the virus? No, like <laughs> that's not really a possibility. I don't know what Batman and the players are really waiting for, and maybe they'll have to go to the... MLB route where the MLB just steps in and says, okay, like we're enforcing whatever clause we have to enforce here and you're playing. And I mean, I, ideally they get full capacity maybe in May or June for the playoffs and stuff, but like that's hard to see still. Right. Yeah. No, I, there's no chance they get full capacity. Like even if there is a vaccine, I don't see it. Adam, this is, I guess maybe a personal question, but like, would you, if, if they allowed you today to go to Rogers place with 20,000 people in there, even like masked up or not, I, I, I guess I don't really, let's, let's just say they're masked up just for the sake of the question. Would you go to a game? Would you feel comfortable going to a game? Like waiting in lines, using the same pisser as other people sitting by a bunch of strangers. Like, would you go? Uh, I think like 
me personally, if I if I lived by myself and knew I wasn't going to see anybody for two weeks, yeah, I'd go because, I mean, at, at this point, it's, it's like exactly a year since I've been to my last NHL game and just, you know, being able to live and, and do all that shit, right? Like, we would have went to playoff games last year and done all that, but again, I personally would go. I just wouldn't want to go if it meant, like, I had to see, like, my grandparents or something two days later, you know, like, of course. I'd go if... If I was by myself, or if I had a buddy who was comfortable going, then yeah, sure. Okay. Well, it's interesting. Like, it, it's just something that comes through my mind, right? Where like, I wonder if they just said, "Hey, full capacity, go at your own risk." I really wonder if they would actually sell out. Like, I, I feel like they would. I think they would. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree. Okay, let's let's move along. That's enough uh, depressing NHL talk. Uh, you, you said like, well, you brought up Johnny Boychuk, Sergachev. Like, I mean, Johnny Boychuk's just a warrior. That's just a good, classic Western Canadian guy. Like, played played on the edge every time. You know, he was always out there to win, never took a shift off. Do you have any, like, favorite Johnny Boychuk memories? You ever meet him? I've never met the guy. I never met him. I, th- I think my favorite thing about him is he played, like, 400 games in the American Hockey League before sticking in the NHL, which is incredible, right? Like That's crazy. How many guys at that how many guys at that point are just like, you know what, it's not really, not worth it, like, let's just pack it let's in. bounce here, let's go go overseas, try to make some money, maybe retire, but, you know, he played, yeah, over 200 games in the American, or over 400 games almost in the American League just to get to the NHL, and 700 games there, and, I mean, there, there definitely were some people who were just like, oh, lose, lose, done it again, right, like, he's making another contract disappear, the Islanders are getting cap space and all that stuff, but, I mean, he, he probably is hurt, like, he's, what is he, He took a skate blade to the face, um, like, he, he could have lost his eyeball. I don't know, I've never yeah. seen someone say that. If someone said that on their Twitter, I would have blown him up. Gone, uh, yeah. who's, who's the one that's trying to fight Evander Kane? Is it Logan Paul, Jake Paul? Jake Paul, I think. Yeah, Jake Paul. Jack Paul, I thought it was. But, like, I would have gotten Jake Paul on his ass and just blown him up on social media. Like, if you think that Johnny Boychuk doesn't want to play hockey anymore, you're an absolute clown. I mean, that guy's a warrior. I loved him on the back end. Like, man, he was he was definition, like, was it 2011 Bruins? Uh-huh. Yeah, he was yeah. like the definition of a Bruin. Yeah, no, he was. <laughs> he, he literally was Boychuk Bruin. I mean, that was uh, just one of the prime memories, I guess. Like, he, he ripped one on Bar South on Reimer, I think it was, in playoffs. And that goal just sticks with me forever. Just lets a cannon go. Yeah, I mean, he was the ultimate Bruin. He was never really, like, like he'd fight if he have to and stuff like that. But he just... He'd block a shot. He'd hit guys. He was just, you know, I guess a Bruins a good way of putting it. Um, he was kind of a clean, yeah, so tough player, though, wasn't he? Like, I, I don't remember him for any dirty incidents. He never really took liberties with smaller guys or took cheap shots. Like, he was just tough and hard to play against. That's what I think people respect about him. He wasn't drilling guys from behind. He wasn't sucker punching guys. He wasn't stepping on anyone's Achilles. He just did everything the right way. Yeah, like the most penalty minutes he had in the season was 53. So, I mean, it's not like he was he was going out of his way to to do stuff. But yeah, it's a it's a tough loss for for him. And I mean, nobody wants to to go out 
like that, right? You want to go out on your own terms and just say you're done, but, you know, good for him. Um, yeah, uh, but there was a, a contract signing, and, I mean, state taxes and winning uh, sure help a guy out, hey? Yeah, that's a friendly deal for Sergachev, but I think it's only a three-year deal, correct? Uh, yeah, um, and, you know, you look at the comparables, like McAvoy and Wierenski, like, sure, but... I mean, three years at four point eight per one. Like I, somebody could offer sheet him for six million, and Tampa couldn't match that. But here's here's like he still has to sign the offer sheet, correct? So if you're Sergachev, if you are, I get it. There's a lot of risk and injury in our game. But if you're smart, if Sergachev can go and win another cup in the next three years and continue to just you know be a stud and get better. It, once the economy comes back, once the salary cap goes up, he's going to get paid so much more. You, you can't deny that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, he, like, what's he going to get, 8 $9 million? And I think yeah. in Tampa, maybe, maybe one of the reasons he's so good is because he's slotted properly, right? Like, he doesn't, yeah. he's not really on their top power play or anything. He's not playing the toughest minutes, but he's just slotted properly, so then he looks really good. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that just kind of comes down to Tampa's model where they've they, they've now, well, now that they've won, they I think they've kind of instilled it in people's minds or the players' minds at least of, hey, this is a place where we can still win another cup or two in the next few years. Like, they could be a three-cup team. Yeah, exactly. And, I mean, but they, they might be screwed eventually with all these guys on their bridge deals like Point and Sergachev. Those guys are... What gonna double their salaries at least? Yeah, of course, but I think that's a little bit expected. Yep. So you know they got to prepare for the future, and that's why if they sign some of these short-term deals, get them to the point where maybe some of those older guys and guys who aren't on as team-friendly of deals are gone. I don't know. It's an interesting game. I don't uh, don't envy the GM in those positions because yeah, you got to make some tough calls. Even putting a guy like Tyler Johnson on waivers, who was arguably one of their best players in that 2015 or 16 playoff run where they went to the cup. Uh-huh. Yeah, he's like I mean they'll they'll have to throw in a sweetener or something, but it just seems like nobody wants to help anybody out right now. Obviously. Okay, wait, I just seen something roll across my TV here. LeBron James got two years, $85 million. Yeah. $85 million, Adam. That's so like 40, 42 and a half a year. Yeah, good math, good math. Uh, that's like, that's an entire NHL team's salary. That's more it, for two years of basketball. That's wild. That's, that's why the NBA can play and the NHL cannot. The, there's yeah. there's no way if an NHL team could offer Connor McDavid forty two and a half million dollars per season, I don't think that there's any owner who would do it, or could do it. I mean, there's some that could, but like they wouldn't. Yeah, no, and I mean, what basketball has twelve guys who, and what your top eight guys in the playoffs play the whole game, so. Yeah, I mean, it's it's fair. It's just crazy to think about. Yeah, and it's a, a different world. Like, what's the NBA TV deal? That's what um, I said. So it's billions. It's billion at least. Yeah, twenty-four billion. Like that's wild. Yeah, I guess so, like, I guess I, people like basketball idiots, but it's it's crazy. Like the 
I, I, I mean, that's that's an amazing amount of money. Okay, going through our Twitter, I'm just going to throw this out to people watching. Hey, what's up? Uh, we we got to start ranking some of these Christmas trees because I'm seeing some of these like hockey guys Christmas trees and they're pathetic. I mean, shout out Casimir Kaskasiu or whatever. Like terrible tree, terrible tree, terrible style. Spend more than fifty bucks on a tree. I mean, come on. So that's that's gonna be the new thing. Send us a tag us on Twitter if you have a Christmas tree. We'll rate it. Adam might do your outdoor rank because he's trying to copy drags or whatever. I want to do Christmas trees. That's what we're doing. Twitter tag us in it. Moving along though, um, Evander Kane and Jake Paul. I almost said Logan or Jack. I don't, okay, so he, I mean, Evander Kane calls him out. Like Evander Kane, I, I don't know why you would think Evander Kane would win. He would get clean so quick. I, Jake Paul has been like training and boxing, actually. Evander Kane, I don't know, is he, does he win any real fights on the ice? Like, you know, I get it. He's not fighting Ryan Reeves out there, but like, dude, he would get absolutely demolished. Yeah, like those those boxers are like a different a different beast. Like I remember I used to work out um, with a couple <laughs> NHL like there's like NHL guys in the in the gym and there's a like a legit like guy who would do like kind of like provincial <laughs> MMA fights and stuff like that. And you'd ask him, you'd say like, could you be in? They said he'd pump me in two seconds. Like, and that's just like a like local like boxing fighting guy right like i mean the boxers are a different breed maybe if you gave evander kane a year to do it like you wouldn't be able to play hockey though also how do youtube people even become famous i think it's like they just kind of like have like fans or groupies that kind of like them like you know half decent looking dude or girl people are kind of like oh okay this is cool and then like they watch them like i don't know like these, these vlogs and stuff but like who has time to watch like a random person's vlog? Just like this is a day in the life of me. Dude, like, but ev- everything's changed. Like now, like people don't even watch TV shows. Like Lindsay's going like what? She'll watch YouTube before any TV show. Like she'll like watch these people's channels, and it's basically like a show for them. I don't know. It's kind of weird. Like I'll watch the odd like golf video and try like pretend that I'm gonna fix my swing or something. But <sighs> yeah, but like okay, here's the thing: is like. Is Evander Kane not doing this for the attention at this point? Like he's he's oh, literally yeah. just trying to get the like he's so happy that Jake Paul even reached out to him or like tweeted back at him or whatever because like Jake Paul's got like three point seven million followers on like Twitter alone I think it is probably like hundreds of million if you go through Instagram and YouTube so like I mean this this is this is a mismatch this is you calling out Mike Tyson here Adam. You know, this This is you just trying to get the attention and being like, hey, you know, I play hockey. I should be relevant. I mean, I, I don't even think Jake Paul knows who the San Jose Sharks are. No, he no, he, he doesn't. Like, he... Uh, exactly. Well, probably uh, he not. His, he probably does. Like, I mean, like, how, how stupid could you be? <laughs> but he... he Man, hockey's like, irrelevant down there. Hockey is irrelevant down there, if you think about it. Yeah, like the only fan. Okay, the, the the majority of fans they have go to games. That's that's what I would say. Yeah, no, for sure. He's like a spaz though. I, was, I watched his little quit. He's like clip, and he's like, dude, like, dude, like he's like one of those guys, like the dude guy. Yeah, yeah. That's 
That's interesting. I don't know. I think uh, Jake Paul would probably clean the clock with him, though. One one more thing we got to get to, though, in Saskatchewan, they're taking the nets off of ODRs. They still haven't even opened them here. I mean, it's kind of a joke. Like, I get it. Close the close the warming shacks. Like, tie your skates to the bench and go skate. They're not even opening them here. It's pathetic. They're taking the nets off rinks in Saskatchewan or Saskatoon. <laughs> I'm just going to give you the floor here. Go off. I mean, the Saskatchewan government or whoever is making these calls are they're clearly they should be scratched this week. Yeah, I mean, I, I really don't get it. We went to the outdoor rink. Uh, I think I went twice already, and I mean, there's there's a lot of people out there, but it's not like you're going and going around them or anything. You're like, not you, licking you each other play. out there. No, and like I mean. We played a game the other day, and it was like kind of like a five-on-five just with whoever's out there, and you're not really getting close enough to anyone. Like, it's the outdoor rink. You're not even hitting anyone. <laughs> like, you're just like... You if shouldn't guy, be. Like, goes hard and skates by you, you're not chasing him. No. No, that's... I, I don't know. Like, I feel like the outdoor rink's probably a safe place. Like, kids can go sledding. Like, kids can go to parks. You, I mean, you can play basketball, but you can't go play hockey. I don't know. It's it's stupid. It's embarrassing. Whatever. I I don't know. Like at, at this point, the they're just trying to make our lives miserable. They're they're just trying to make people's lives miserable. You can't tell me that the outdoor rink is more dangerous than going to the casino. You can't tell me that it's more dangerous than going to a packed shopping mall. There's 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 just no way you could convince me that. No, you can't. Uh, we got we got Rich coming up here, hey? Yeah, okay, yeah, we got to get to that. We got to get to that. Uh, Rich Pilon, obviously, heavy hitter. Great guy. Awesome, awesome dude. Uh, you you got to have a story, though, because, hey, I mean, he, he didn't hold back, Adam. He didn't hold back, so you got to give me some dirt here. Uh, I've known him, like, my whole life, pretty much. Like, you, we were kind of, like, when he moved back from the NHL or whatever, we, he was, like, literally, like, one of our neighbors, like, on the same street as us so i've known him and and i'm close with garrett um he he's always like trying to trying to scoop me or something like that and, like challenge me on on anything i say and i remember the one time i was up this this junior camp and there's a a kid there who's going to be on rich's team and i i kind of said to like my dad after whatever i was like i don't think that kid's like like as good as as rich thinks he is and and that got back to rich and rich is like no, no, he's good. He'll be, he'll be one of our best players. Like he's good, he's good. I was like, I was like, I don't know. He's, he's not great. And then, sure enough, the kid quit like a week later. And Rich was just like, yeah, I guess so. And then, um, expert. There's, yeah, we'd always, we'd always like have have ice or something and do like a little scrimmage with a bunch of people. And I think the one time Rich, Rich usually wouldn't come, but the one time he came, he was wearing his freaking New York Rangers pants, like. Wouldn't, wouldn't be going hard, and then I'd go in the corner, and he like legitimately hit me in the corner. Like he's got 150 pounds, 200 pounds, and he hit me in the corner, and then he'd like go end to end as a joke the one time and score and have the biggest sell. And then his team would win, and he, he'd gather everybody in the in a group and say, "Everybody, team picture!" Like winning team gets a picture. Like it was such a joke at the time, but no, he's he's hilarious. Great guys coaching in the SJ two now, which is good to see. Yeah, no, he's, and I mean, I think you'd, you'd be you'd be lucky to go to Weyburn. Yeah, 
You, you, that's a that's a rare thing to see, but I think you are uh, very correct on that one. Alrighty, Adam Urban Trout, Cody Jans, and Rich Pielons next. This is World Hockey Report, twelve ounce Sports Zingo TV, channel seven sixty one. Pleased to be joined now. Six hundred thirty one NHL games played, seventy seven points. More impressively, though, over seventeen hundred pims. It's Rich Pielon on World Hockey Report. Rich, how are you? Good, good, Tony. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate the invite, and uh, yeah, looking forward to to the chat. Not a problem. Appreciate you uh, taking some time out of your busy schedule, Rich. Rich, I want to dive into a little bit of how you got into the game. I know you're from around Saskatoon, PA, that area. Obviously, there's a lot of pelons and a lot of damn good ones that played hockey. So, walk me through. Like, how did you get into it? What got you? What what made you fall in love with the game? Well, I think just from uh, being a young kid in a small town back. You know, back in our days, you know, in the early '80s, there it was. Uh, where did Where did you grow well, up? I grew up in St. Louis, Saskatchewan. Okay, okay. Just, uh, just south of Prince Albert, and uh, the small kind of a Métis French community, and uh, yeah, that's kind of where my home, my hometown is. My sister still lives there, and my my parents are there. And you know, I think just being growing up in that small town, there's just not a lot to do it's back then. And hockey was the number one thing, and we had a lot of street hockey and. That was the way we kept ourselves busy, and then you know, we went through when the ice, when the when the lakes uh, froze, we just, we skated on the lakes, and when we were able to skate at the rink, we would. So it was uh, pretty much that was the thing to do was play hockey there. Hey, I grew up in Warman, and so we were used to getting our asses kicked by SVP and Beardies year after year. So it's a <laughs> it's Saskatchewan. There's really nothing like it. Hey, Rich, in in the dub though, you end up going and playing in Prince Albert. I think you played midget there as well. Obviously, if you're from St. Louis, I mean that's the the closest place. But talk about playing in PA. Like some of those teams you were on. I mean, Mike Medano. You got other heavies too, like Darren Kimball. That that's not a small guy. Like were you guys just this machine back in juniors? Well, with us and, and um, Medicine Hat, right? We're kind of, you know, the Blades, we, well, obviously we have the rivalry with the Blades, and, uh, but it, when it came down to the, the teams itself, we had a pretty good team because we did have guys like Medano and, you know, there's guys on there like Todd Nelson, who's now one of the coaches and, you know, obviously with the Dallas Stars. And, there, you know, there was a lot of good players. Reed Simpson was on that team and, you know, there's, you can go through a list, you know, Ian, uh, Dean McCammon, right? And the guys that I played with my first year were, you know, guys like uh, Pat Ellenuck and, you know, obviously Darren Kimball was one of the guys. Baumgartner was there. and So we had a really, we had a big physical team. The, the team was built like the way the league was back then, which you want a lot of toughness in the lineup. And um, it was more of an intimidation. And it was always about trying to, you know, basically run guys out of the rink. And, you know, growing up in a in the rink in Prince Albert at the Communiplex, it was it's it's not a fun place to play. Uh, the fans are right on top of you. It's deemed small, and it's just it's overall it's just a hard place to win hockey. In. Yeah, I mean the Art Hauser is uh, you know interesting place to say the least. Were you just beating the wheels off guys in juniors or what? Like when did you know no. that like hey I'm I'm pretty tough and like none of these kids can hang? Uh, you know what? I was always a small kid growing up, so I always tell like you know. I was like my son, I guess, Garrett, who was, you know, not the biggest guy at the Bantam age, and I didn't grow till I was really probably 15 or 16, and when I did grow, you know, I, I always tell the story, I, I know, we were pretty, we weren't well off, and I know my uncle had bought me a pair of skates, but uh, back then I had the steel, like, blades, whatever, now I got these tuck blades, right, <laughs> and those skates, 
I, I outgrew him right away within half the year, not even half the year. So I didn't want to tell my parents because I was like feeling bad that because we couldn't afford it. So I always wore because of that. I wore those skates the rest of that year, and my toes were they were like at least a size too small or a half. So I always had really tight skates, and that kind of became my comfort zone. As I went up, I always wore size pair of skates that were were probably a size or a size and a half smaller, and I did that throughout my my whole NHL career, and um, you know. For us in Prince Albert, the you know when we go when we go to when we're playing in that facility, we were always trying to be you know like I wasn't a, I wouldn't say a tough guy or didn't really you know, I fought a lot at a young age because I was always in everybody's face I was a little bit of a you know kind of a rat a bit and when you get beat up enough you finally learn how to fight and that's kind of what happened and uh, once you got the size you know I was bullied as a young guy kid and then once I got bigger it was almost like payback. Yeah, that's kind of how it happened, and you know, once you get on the ice, it's not really how you, it's not how hard you punch. It's more how many can you take. So, well, hey, two hundred forty-two pims in your first NHL season. So let's dive into that a little bit. Rich, what was your first NHL game like? Like, walk me through. How nervous were you for it? Because you're coming straight out of juniors. I don't even think you touched the minors. You just went straight into the National League. Like, what was that like for you? Walk me through your preparation. Well, you know, you kind of when you're, you know, the way that back then you 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 had the minor league guys and the draft picks. Unless you were a first rounder, you skated in two groups and then the pros always skated separate so my first two NHL camps first of all being drafted on the midget was a big deal right I was just excited to be that player that uh, you know one of one of two players that was drafted myself and Brent Bobbick out of midget AAA so then I end up going to camp it wasn't even like you know I'd never been on a plane like there's just so many things that were new to me right at 17 years old, I'm, you know, I'm now flying to New York, and, it, you know, I got so many stories of how life was just like, oh, my God, do I really want to do this, right? So my first two stints in, in camp, I really was just there for, I think, 12 and 14 days and sent home. And then on my third camp, when I was leaving Prince Albert, Rick Wilson had just, was the, had taken the job, you know, we were done our, our year in Prince Albert, and he was telling me how if I came back as a 20-year-old, it wouldn't be that big of a deal because I would, you know, I've only played two years of junior. I never wasn't like, you know, like now we're guys are in at 16. I didn't come in until I was 18. And the whole time he's talking, I'm like, well, I'm not coming back. I'm actually making, I'm going to make the rank. The Islanders, that's what I'm thinking, right? And I think the ignorance of not knowing the pecking order or how systems work in hockey, you know, the the ignorance of knowing the depth charts, the ignorance of knowing where, you know, growing up in a, in a, with a team, my parents didn't know a lot about Hockey, they, my dad coached me, but he didn't know like the, the politics that's involved in the game, right? That's the ugly part of the game. <clears throat> because of that, I always believed I was going to play in the NHL, and you know, my, my, my ignorance actually never, nothing ever took the wind out of my sails because I didn't know any better. I wasn't reading into where I was or was I a third pairing in midget AAA or a second pairing when I was in Bantam because I played forward till I was 15. But being from a small town, you play both. So now, when I got to the pro level, when I left at twenty, um, I get to the I get to the Islanders, and about about four or five days in the camp, they you know uh, Terry Simpson was the coach, Rick Wilson was assistant coach. So I had they knew what I was. They considered me a, a late bloomer, right? A throwback kind of a player. <clears throat> so then I end up uh, they brought me up to the big club, being able to skate with the pros. Um, 
I was now going on, oh, you know, guys would tell me, Rich, you're probably going to get a shot it's between you and Dean Chanel, who was their first round at the time, and I was obviously a seventh round pick. And still didn't care. I, and I remember sitting at the Coliseum, because I, I lived and was breathing hockey all the time. That's all I did. And it wasn't because my parents were forcing me, it's just that's what my passion was, and that's what I loved doing. And so out of the 10 exhibition games, I played nine. And I'm like, and basically, you know, I remember sitting in the office with uh, Terry and Dean, and uh, Terry spoke to me and Dean, and he goes, you guys are gonna, you guys are basically fighting for the one job. Um, and then within two or three days later, Kenny Leiter retired from camp because he just had enough of, of hockey. So that, now that put me on the team, right? So what we were gonna do is that Dean and I were gonna basically share a slot, play one game in, in and out, and basically whoever they thought was gonna be Better after about 20 games in, they one guy was going to stay, one was going to get set down. But then when Dean got hurt, Kenny Leiter retired, I became a regular in the lineup, and that's how I, because of you know Dean's misfortune with his with what's what's going on with him, and Kenny Leiter retired, I got an opportunity. That's what I tell kids today. I said, there's opportunity, luck, whatever you want to call it, being in the right place at the right time. You got to ready. You have to be ready when you're given that opportunity, and you can't be upset if things don't work out the way you want if you're if you haven't put all the work in on a time oh you're damn right it's right place right time that's 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 huge that's awesome actually that's a crazy story to to really hear how you get a break in who was who was your who was your first fight in the nhl who who was the first guy who you're like hey i'm gonna if i'm gonna go toe-to-toe and hold my own here this is who i'm doing it with well i you know i was trying to find my first nhl game because um and we were looking at it the one day, and I remember I was when I was at U17, I was coaching, uh, helping out as a helper, actually, for the U17, U18 World Juniors, right? And, you know, we, after your full day of, you know, being on the ice and being around these, these good players, you always, you know, guys at the end of the night, I don't drink anymore, but guys have beers and tell stories. So I was telling some of these stories that, you know, they want to hear, you know, because there's not a lot of pro guys there, right? mostly WHL coaches and, that haven't played pro. And there's only, you know, Dan Lambert was one of the guys that obviously played a little bit. And so I started telling stories because when I played my first game against Gretzky, um, one of the things that happened in the game was that, you know, I was a huge fan of Gretzky. So I remember, you know, playing, you know, I played games like I fought in the, in the preseason because of playing the Rangers and Millet. And we ended up having a few fights and, and guys didn't really know a lot about me, right? So Mick Dakota, our, our heavyweight guys, were like, like basically, who is this guy? Like me, right? <laughs> so, and I wasn't that, like, I don't consider myself a heavyweight. It's just because of my style of play. I have to sometimes fight because I, you know, as my career evolved, I became a shutdown defenseman. Always seemed to be a really good compliment to a top guy. So I was either always paired with the number one or two uh Top I guess I was always either a one or two pairing on the team, mostly a number one pairing because of being a stay-at-home guy and you put an offensive guy with a with a defensive guy. And always, my job was basically to make sure to back up the other defense. I knew my job to a T, and my job was to make sure that I got the puck to my partner or a forward. Not you know not have giveaways, which I one of my strengths as, as a player was my first pass and. You know, I remember Darcy Regeer, who became the GM of the Buffalo Sabres and kind of worked his way into management. He took me out every day my first year, 20 minutes before practice, and all I would do is go backwards, pivot, shoulder check, and look up the ice. 
but now when I get to the NHL, we're playing, we're playing in LA, and I'm like, now I'm kind of like, you pinch me, I'm here, right? My first real, any my first actually registered NHL game, and both halfway at the end of the first period, Gretzky was like circling the neutral zone, and we were on the power play, and nobody could take the puck, and I'm like, you know, all of them, <laughs> like I became a fan, right? <laughs> And I got a whack on the side of the head by Terry Simpson because I was telling my partner at the time, I'm like, geez, he's unbelievable. Look at him go. <laughs> right? <laughs> and Terry Simpson gives me a whack on the side of the helmet. It's like, what are you doing? He's not on our team. Are you basically giving shit, right? <laughs> so then, now I'm upset because I'm like in trouble with Simpson, right? So I'm like, Frick, the first chance I get, I'm running him. So he used to line up behind, you know, obviously Gretzky made his, made, his, made his living in the office in the back of the net and became, that became his place where he, he got a lot of points from, right? And anyway, he was setting up back there. I read that he was going back there and I took a run at him, but I actually missed him. I just got a piece of him. And we were in the Staples, in, in the old form in, in L.A. And he fell to fall down <clears throat> right away. Marty McSorley comes and kind of jumped me. He was there. So I ended up fighting kind of tough. It wasn't really a fight with Marty McSorley. I, get, you know, I got a five, but it wasn't really a fight. Well, my next six, five minutes, come out, end up playing, uh, you know, coming going on the ice, just puts me out. Jay Miller circles me and said, hey, kid, he goes, drop your glove, they're coming off, you don't touch the gray one. And end up fighting him. Wasn't really, was a good fight. That was a good fight, right? And then they... I didn't even finish the game because Marty McFody came after me again. So that was my first my first game. So everybody said, what do you like? Well, you don't touch Gretzky. So everybody says all the time, well, nobody tries to hit him. Nobody tries. Well, it's not even that. It's that first of all, like Gretzky, the Mary Lemieux, they are so smart on the ice. Anytime you try and take runs at those guys, they pull you out of position and you actually look drug video the next day, guaranteed. We I call them Looney Tunes because, you know, when you, you know, you're doing your video, you, you're on, everybody's always checking to see if they're on there, you know, especially if it's a negative stuff. And so the Looney Tunes, you know, with those guys is that you can't, they're really hard to hit. The, the top players in the NHL are really hard to hit because if they don't put their head down. They're always two plays, three plays ahead of you. So you've got to really cheat if you're going to actually try and lay them out. So. Wait, so people actually called Gretzky the great one on the ice? Oh, yeah. Like, really? You know, yeah. Yeah, yeah, they're like, you don't touch a great one. That's hilarious. So, I, I, I don't know, I just find that funny that you'd call your teammate. Like, I get it, he's unbelievable. That just sounds funny for a teammate to call well, him even, that. But you, like, even, like, look at Sackett. Like, you know, my, my, we were talking about this the other day about stuff that's being set on the ice. And, uh, Sean Avery uh, was, uh, uh, you know, like, guys get so much respect, right? And Sean Avery was, you know how he knew when he played. Just the mouthpiece. Yeah, he's a piece of shit yeah. out there. Yeah, and he ends up, he's, he's all over uh, Joe Stockick. And they were saying how Brett Hall just said to him, listen, you don't, you don't have the, you don't talk to him, Mr. Stockick. <laughs> I guess. That's what Hall told him. That's hilarious. Holly, Holly yeah. speaks up for Avery. That's, I, I, I yeah, I mean, hey, you, he you definitely. He just said keep your fucking mouth shut because that's Mr. Stockick to you, not just. I mean, show some respect, right? Hey, respect is earned. That's what makes hockey so great. Rich, you didn't score too many goals, not to knock on you, but do you remember your first one? Who was it on? How was it? Was it a gross one uh, or what? I was actually in, uh, in uh, Edmonton with my first NHL goal. So, um, you know, I think I had 
I can't think. I actually raced for Alborn fed me. I I was uh, sneaking in. I call. I call. You know, like when you come in the back way, or you know, from the. I call them now. They're they're firing chambers that I use with my team. Basically, yeah. the two dots are a chamber, and the middle is another chamber. I don't know if you've heard that term before. Oh yeah. So we. I call them firing chambers. So basically, those are spots on the, the soft areas on the ice, especially the dots. And uh, that's kind of where I scored my first goal on Manford when uh, Ray came from behind the net and kind of saw him. I was coming, I was coming down that one side on the dot line in, in that chamber, and then yeah, that was the first one, which was kind of exciting. And yeah, was, you know, obviously when you score, I always joke with people when they're like, "You only scored that many goals," and I usually ask, "Well, how many do you have?" <laughs> <laughs> so, it's fair. You know, it's... It's kind of, yeah, it's kind of funny, right? Because you know, even when you fight, how many fights you got in the NHL, right? <laughs> So, but, well, hey, it's better than your first one, like going off your ass or your skate or something like that. Yeah, right? yeah. She can you say, oh, I, I walked down and ripped it. I always joke because I was not joke, but I always say, I'm like, you know, I, did, I didn't really, you know, if I was going to score, I wasn't just going to score to back up. Like, I scored on Law, I scored on Brodeur, right? <laughs> no, not bad names. Yeah. Not, yeah, not bad names at all. Rich, I got to yeah. ask you about the statue. I mean, when that thing went up, and for those who don't know, the Mario Lemieux statue outside the, the PPG out there, I mean, people were freaking out that it included you. I don't remember who was your D partner back then. Like, Mario's splitting in between you guys, and like, people well, were Mario's freaking D, out. It was Jeff Norton, right? So, um, when it happened, it was very, like, I didn't know anything about it. So I did. I found out the morning they unveiled it because my friend Dean Chanel called me and said, "You won't believe you're you're, you're going to be above ground for the rest of your life." <laughs> and I'm like, "What the hell are you talking about?" You know, and I teased a lot. So I always, when guys call me, I'm sort of sometimes joke. I think they're just pulling my leg because I'm always pulling someone's leg, right? So Dean Jenny was like, "Yeah, he goes, there's a statue." I'm like, "Whatever." And as we're talking. With a call from Ontario, and I'm like, Jesus, just hold on, I'm like, I'm going to take this call, this call from Ontario. I take the call, and it's Bob McKenzie. And McKenzie's like, have you heard about the statue? I said, I'm just on the other line with Dean, let me basically get him off, but he just told me about it, he goes, I came right back to Bob, and then he goes, yeah, and he's, you know, he's kind of said to me, he goes, they unveiled the statue, and it's you and Jeff Norton, and the reason they took that picture, because I think that was in 1988, and it was also the, on the cover of Sports Illustrated, I believe. So they did a thing on Mario and how he split the time. That was Mario's thing, right? He always split the D. And so basically, Jeff and I are on the ice, but in all actuality, it wasn't my guy. <laughs> it was actually Jeff's guy. <laughs> so they, because they had the video, because they had the picture for Sports Illustrated, and because Mario's known, it was just they had it all, right? And, uh, you know, when I talked to Mario, when Mario did call me and just, you know, obviously, it, I'm not, you know, I said, I think they're facing, I told with Mario, I said, I think they're facing the, the statue the wrong way. <laughs> <laughs> and he was like, so anyway, but to this day, and we still haven't done it, we were supposed to, like myself and Jeff, and I was going to take care of my son, and, and Jeff was going to take his kid, and Mary's invited us for a game in Pittsburgh, right? And he would like to take a picture with all three of us at the same time in front of the statue, which we just cool. haven't been able to. That would be really cool. And we, and we will do it. You know what I mean? It's just, it just has our work because of, obviously, you know, hockey and, and Garrett played in hockey now, which just 
that we haven't been able to wait. We'll, we'll get it done. I know for sure that, and I told Mario this, that I would definitely take him up on his offer, which would fly us up and, and invite us, you know, to watch a game up there. So that, that. I'm hoping that I, my goal, my, my thing is I'm hoping that Garrett has, I think he's pretty close to playing. You know, he's close to being a pro, I think, right? So I'm hoping that I can catch a game and watch him there. That's kind of what I'm hoping. Well, Rich, we haven't even got into the latter part of your career with the Rangers and your stint with the Blues, so we might have to uh, say take you up on a reoccurring guest maybe once NHL starts up again. But I wanted to ask you, though, I mean, your son Garrett and even, like, Colin, you know, like, I, I believe he helped coach contacts and stuff, too. That was after I was done playing midget AAA. But, you know, like, what what was that like? Or what's that like now, I guess, kind of seeing Garrett climb the ranks? You know, I, he's playing American League, same with Cole Lind. Like, what's it like watching them now? And you got to, I mean, you've got to see them grow up playing the game. Well, you kind of, it, it's, well, you're proud, first of all. Uh, you know, not only because my son, you know, obviously he is a pro. Well, he's not, even though he's not quite there, he's still pro and he's still, he's getting himself seasoned. And Cole's in the same boat being, a, you know, he was with Billet Santos and uh, the, we're good friends with the family and, you know, it's 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 a it's a proud moment and, and it's and it's great and I hope that it works out for them because you know the game is so much different. They're all about speed and scoring and I would you know to it's a harder game for them to get in than it was for me because my game was so simple. You know what I mean? And oh, yeah. goal scores goal scores speed on goals and goal scores that's how they pump their tires up. And when things don't go their way or points aren't happening, you know. They have to find other ways, and I think that's where, you know, the the game itself to Cole and Garrett, you know, and to the best players at a young age, the mistake that a lot of coaches make is they let these, if if they score goals, they don't clean up their or details or clean up parts of their game, like the defensive side, to be better because they don't want to upset their best players because they want them to score goals. Scoring means they're going to win. But in all actuality, they're just hurting their best players because when they get to the pro level or the NHL level, if you, for the amount of time you play with the puck at that level, you've got to be able to play without the puck and be, you know, be a responsible player. And you know, and that's where Garrett's had to learn a little bit more and play a little tougher. And he's never had to really hit. And I think, you know, for him to get in the lineup, no different than Cole. You know, when when a, when a team is telling you you're going to be a third line center in the NHL, but you got to get to the third line. You, you don't just get handed the third line. You got to come in as a fourth line guy, unless you're an actual, you know, you're lighting it up and you know what I mean. And it's timing, all that stuff that we just talked about prior, being in the right place on the right time and having the right attitude and you know doing all the little things because now there's a lot of everybody's doing everything now. The, the, there's players that are that are stronger, faster, and you have to find a way to be stronger and faster. You have to find a way to be better defensively, and that's even right now to my coaching career. I don't really care if you're the best player, or the worst player. You're going to be accountable defensively first because that's how you win championships, and the scoring and all that other stuff will take care of itself down the road. 100% rich. Hey, I got one more for you, and this is because Erm set it up. And I mean, Adam calls himself the, you know, the smartest hockey guy in the world. I, I gotta, I gotta <laughs> ask Rich, what, like, what was your first thoughts when you met Erm? Like, come on, like, he's not the smartest hockey guy in the world, right? Well, he's gotta, he, you know what, just because he was right once with uh, Barzell, because I said Barzell would not be able to play the way he does. Oh, boy. At the pro level. And Adam was at that time was saying he he always 
was well, you were wrong, Rich, because I'm not really wrong that much. <laughs> and, and anyway, Barzell has learned to play the game, but still, you know, Adam himself seems to have a little bit of a, you know, being at the right place at the right time. I think he does <laughs> does enough brown nosing that he gets himself puts him in the right position. I think you know, but eventually when that runs out, he's gonna have to be smarter. Rich, you are the man. Thank you so much for taking the time. I know we took a little bit more than we probably uh, expected, but maybe maybe in the new year. Maybe in the new year. We'll talk some Rangers and Blues. Yeah, give me New York. I got got a crap load of stories. I think you're going to get the service. Oh, yeah. 15 years in the NHL, 7 goals, 31 games, throwing both ways. Hey, I mean, you could put them down the pipe. You could put them down the pipe, and that's, I mean, hey, I, I your, your teammates, and I mean, specifically in Kimby, who talked about you in juniors, was yeah. when you were coming up, man, that that was uh, that was a fridge on wheels, Rich. So, no, it's yeah, awesome. It's awesome to see you're back gravity. in the game, too. I love seeing guys give back in the SJ because, you know, I, I really believe that a good SJ is just huge for Saskatchewan, the communities, and the junior, you know, yeah. hockey scene there is awesome to see that thrive. So that's uh, that's yeah. awesome to see, Rich. Thank you very much for having me, yeah. It's been a ride, and we're just starting here. We are just starting. Appreciate Rich Pilon for jumping on the show. Things are taking off. We're rocking. We're rolling. Shout out 12 Ounce Sports Zingo TV Channel 761. We are going to be back next week. I think Monday. I think Monday's the day to do it. I really, I, I think Monday and Wednesday. Let's get back into it. we got a couple of great, great conversations lined up. I think you're going to like it. I really hope you do. Until then, though, everyone, have a good weekend. Be kind. Be better.